Uh, I've got uh, a message that I want to share with you, something that's been in my heart for a little bit. And, uh, and it's partly is going to help, I believe, give you some uh, kind of hear my heart a little bit. Because I know I mentioned it a few months ago, uh, but we are right now in the process of working on uh, designing and building a Mardi Gras float. And, uh, but I want to give you the why behind it, because I'm not just there to make a scene. I went to one of the parades, right? Because, uh, I mean, why not? And, uh, and some of you may be like, well, I got a long list of reasons why not. And, uh, but, you know, one of the things that I can tell you is that we are called out of the world, but we're not called from the world. And there is a difference. We can be called out in the sense of that we are called to be, what, different, but what good is light if all you are is around light? Right? I mean, like, for some of you, you might have, during your fast, you may have removed things like salt and sugar and those types of things, and you were quite happy to welcome them back into your life, I'm sure. Why? Because they added something that was missing, right? I like salt. I mean, I... I drink my sugar and I eat my salt. That's the way, that's pretty much the way I work. And, uh, you know, but the Bible says is what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Well, part of my responsibility, I believe, is to make sure that our church doesn't lose its flavor. Because I believe that we have a specific call inside of the context in which God has placed all of us. And so last year when I was at the parade, I'm standing there and I'm watching these different floats go by and my kids are grabbing beads and candy and all those types of things that come with it. And, um, you know, and, and I'm standing and the whole time I'm just thinking like, if Jesus was in Lake Charles, I think this is where he would be. Because this is where the people are at. You know, and, and so, but so many times we can be challenged sometimes in our thinking. And quite honestly, sometimes our thinking needs to be challenged. And I say that as for me. That there are things that, that I need to be uncomfortable in. Things that maybe even I would sometimes challenge myself or even it's just a thought from the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, I need to think about that. Because I'm not sure how I think or what I, you know. And, and so I want to share some thoughts with you really about the heart of why I believe that this is something that, our, that not just our church. I believe that any church should be involved with. And I don't mean just as far as in Mardi Gras itself. Because I know the backstory, I know the history. I probably know more of the history than you do, actually, because I've actually studied it. Do you know that Mardi Gras actually predates and goes as far back as human history? Like thousands upon thousands of years, there's some version of the celebration of Mardi Gras that goes back almost as long as we have recorded human history. So it's not something that's just unique to the last couple hundred years in South Louisiana. Uh, is that it, it actually spans just centuries. And, you know, and, and I understand that there are some not great things about it. And we picked certain parades for certain reasons. I mean, we're going to be involved with the Merchant's Day Parade, and we're going to be involved with the Children's Parade. Why? Because people come, but families come. And, and, and so what better place to go and shine a light than a place where there ain't a lot of light? It's quite frankly why we're doing it. And we're not there just to make a scene, but we are there to make a statement, which is to tell our city what? Is that God loves you and we love you. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to call you out. We're not here to, to do all these things, but we are here very simply to let people know that God loves them. Why? Because a lot of people think God has given up on them and they're not coming to our four doors. They're not walking in 
this church necessarily. Now, I believe that God can use us to create that, yes. And so I want to share some scriptures with you this morning of, of why I believe that this is not just my heart, but I believe it's the heart of God. Because if it's just my heart, it doesn't matter. We might as well not even do it. But if it's the heart of God, then I think we have to ask ourselves. I don't think it's like, should we? I think it's, we have to ask ourselves, should we do this? If it's the heart of God, I think it's, okay, is this something God is calling us to do? Now, I'll tell you, last year after I went to the parade, I had that thought. I came back and started asking people. I'm like, hey, has a church ever been in a parade? And everybody's like, I, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, I think we want to be that church. Why not be the first? I mean, why not? I, I mean, you know, I mean, why, why should we wait? You know, and I had other people ask me, they're like, what if another church wanted to do it? Come on, let's just take it over. I don't care. You know, I mean, I mean, somebody even asked me about, they're like, hey, could we create our own crew and like have a Christian parade? And I'm like, it kind of defeats the purpose. Like, I don't want to have a parade for Christian people. I, that's not my intention at all, although it is possible. We did look into it. And, um, you know, but I also want our city to understand that, hey, we're not just waiting for you to come to us. Jesus didn't wait for the multitudes to come. He went to where they were. And, and so I want to share some, some thoughts with you and some, uh, just some passages from Scripture this morning. And so, but before I get into this first one, I want to ask you a couple of questions. How many of you have some siblings? So most of us in this room. Just curious, how many of you are the oldest? How many of y'all have, are those middle kids? Those, those for, are y'all the forgotten ones? See, I didn't even put y'all to the end. I put y'all right in the middle because that's, you know, you're the middle child. And where are my babies at? Where are my, my youngest? See, I'm the youngest. Dare's the oldest. And, um, you know, and, and so, but did you have any, like, sibling rivalries when you grew up? Like, you know, you're just trying to one-up your, you know, like, whatever. It, you know, I, I can remember I had two older sisters. And so my mom would always tell them. She'd be like, look, one day he's going to be bigger than y'all. One day, one day, well, one day came. And it was amazing. They didn't want to fight me anymore. You know, it's like they didn't want to race anymore. It's like now that I can win, y'all don't want to do anything. And, you know, but let me ask you another question. How many of you feel like somebody in your family got special treatment? So which one was it? The baby, the baby. Do any of the babies think that another sibling got some opportunities that you didn't get? You know, I mean, and so, look, we see this, and this is something, that, and I say it somewhat jokingly, but it's something that we can connect to because there's always these sibling rivalries. There's always these comparisons. Why? Because your brother, your sister, you know, I mean, you've got those connections, and, and it's unique to your family, right? I mean, there are things in my family, it was whoever got the last word. You know, you kind of won. You know, I mean, it's like, you ever do that, like where you're walking out and you just say one thing as you walk out, so you got the last word, you know? And uh, one of my sisters, we swore she should have been a lawyer because, man, she, to this day, will just argue you to death. You're just like, I, I give. Like, surrender, white flag, we're done. Like, I'm not talking about it anymore. And, um, you know, but, but, you know, there is something to this. And I want to share just a story with you this morning. It's really the tale of two sons. And we really, most of the time in church at least, we focus on the one son. But there was another son in the story that we don't talk about. Now we would call this passage, we're going to read it out of Luke chapter 15, and it's really the story of the prodigal son is what we would call it. How many of you are familiar with that story? 
We talk about the son who ran away and, you know, all the things. And I'll give you the, if you're not familiar with it, I'll give you the, the, the overview. So a, a, the younger of two sons comes to his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. In a sense, he was saying, Dad, you're kind of already dead to me. I just want what's belonging to me. And so, you know, but in that culture, that was, I mean, can you imagine doing that to your parents? Like, hey, like, just give me what's mine. Just go ahead. Like, let's just go ahead and fast forward this thing. And, uh, and so, but remarkably, the man gives the younger son his inheritance. And the Bible tells us that he runs away. He goes to a foreign land. He parties it up, lives it up, and he's broke. And he finds himself in a pig pen. Now, I'm skipping a lot of detail, but that's the moral of the story. He wasted his entire inheritance just on living it up. And he finds himself hungry in the middle of a famine, sitting in the midst of a, of a pig pen, looking at the food that he's paid to feed to the pigs, going, I think I might want this bowl of soup for myself. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around pigs. There's only one thing that I think compares to a pig pen, and that's a chicken coop, but that's another story. But, but pigs will eat almost anything. I mean, they eat just nastiness. I'll just say it that way. And, uh, and so this young man is tempted to eat the food, and he has this thought. He has this moment. One, one place in, in scriptures it says it this way, is that he came to his senses. Now, the truth is, is that we, I hope, have all had a come to your senses moment because we all need them. And that's why you turn to Jesus because without it, you would never look to him. So sometimes we, we make the, the, the prodigal son, like he's this horrible, wretched person. And so were we, we all have our own pig pens. We all had the slop that we thought looked really good. And in retrospect, we look at it and go, that wasn't as good as I remembered. Like it looked really good then and I'm so thankful that that moment came where my eyes were open and I realized the condition of where I was and the condition of my heart and I realized, man, that I need to run back to my father. That I need to get back into the house and that's what happens. And it says that the father was sitting on the porch. Now I'm giving you my translation so you're not gonna read it this way in the Bible. This is the, the Bible according to David. And, uh, but the father is sitting every day He's looking for his son in the distance, waiting, 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 waiting for the day. And the son had said, man, I'm going to go back and I'm just going to ask my dad if I can just be a servant in the house. And, and so the young man is coming home and the dad sees him. And the Bible says that, the, that his father, which was like an act of hum, really of, of ultimate humility in their culture, pulled up his robes. The Bible says that he girded up. He, he gathered all of his garments and he held them as he ran so he wouldn't trip. In other words, he didn't want anything slowing him down from getting to his son. I mean, it is a beautiful picture that we see of the heart of God in, uh, for us. And, and so what happens is that the son comes to his dad and says, Hey, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just let me, be a, uh, let me just be a servant in the house. And this is my translation in my good southern slang. Is his daddy said, Shut up, boy. You're not going to be a servant. You're my son. That's foolishness. You're my son. He's, he, he talks to the other servants. He says, go get him a robe, which signified who he was. He said, get him the ring, which, which really meant you could spend your daddy's money. That's really what that meant. It was a signet. It was like, you know, like a, in a sense, it's like an IOU. If you had that ring, it meant you had all the authority of the family. It was, it was very significant. And, and so he says, hey, go and kill the fatted calf. I mean, we're going to throw a party. Why? 
because that which is lost has been found. That son who was away has come home. And so, and I can guarantee you that this father had been praying for his son to come. And so there's this, it's a, it's a beautiful moment. And you see, and there's music and there's festivities, man. It, it's this awesome moment. And the son, the older son comes in and he hears the music and he hears all the chatter and he hears all the excitement. And the Bible tells us actually in verse 20 or pick it up in verse 20. I've already told you some of it. Oh, well, let me skip down a little bit. Here it is. So it says, meanwhile, so while that's all going on with the younger brother, the older brother comes in. And he says, the older brother was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? He says, your brother is back. And your father has killed the fatted calf. Says, and we we're celebrating because of his safe return. And it says the older brother became angry or was angry. He was indignant to the point that he wouldn't even go in the house. I mean, he's pretty ticked off. Why? Because here he is the, thinking, and, and again, this is that, that sibling, like, I know my brother, I know what he's done. And, 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 and so here he is, so he's angry, he wouldn't come in. So the father comes out and begins to beg him. Say, hey, just come in the house. Your brother that's been lost has been found. Like, man, this, this is a moment that we should celebrate. And the brother responds this way. The elder brother responds and says, all these years I have slaved for you. And I've never once refused to do a single thing that you told me. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young goat for a feast with my friends. It's like, Dad, you never threw me a party. Like, this joker went and threw everything down the toilet. He wasted everything that you gave him. He says, but you never threw me a party. You never celebrated me. You never took a moment to recognize what I was doing. I'm the one who loved you. I'm the one who stayed. So why should we celebrate him? But I think it's, it's a great picture of the heart of God. And yet this, this elder brother is focused on himself. He's not actually thinking about what has transpired. I mean, because the brother could have come home in a coffin. He could have come home in a little box. And that would have been the end of that story. And yet here it goes on and... And this is so powerful. So he says, hey, you never gave me a goat. You never let me have a party with my friends. It says, yet when this son of yours, he didn't even say my brother. He says, this this boy that is your son. I mean, that tells you just the, the frustration of the moment, the anger that's happening here. He says, yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. And he says, and you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father looks at him. And I don't think his father was angry. I don't think his father was upset. I actually think his father was probably heartbroken. And he says, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything that I have is yours. Which that's part of the story that if you just read scripture that you don't understand, for the, for the father to give the inheritance to the younger man, he also had to give the inheritance to the older at the same time. 
So when he makes the statement, everything I have is yours, he's not kidding. The oldest actually got a double portion of any younger. So the older son actually got twice as much as the younger son. And the father is saying, what do I own? I've already given everything to you and your brother. And now he squandered it, yes. But you, you have everything. It's already, if you wanted a, a goat, go kill a goat. It was yours to kill. And yet, in this moment, so he says, everything that I have is yours. He says, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And see what happens, and, and this is what I want. This, if you hear nothing else that I say today, I want you to catch this statement. What can happen is that you can be in the house and yet lose the heart of the father. You can come to church and yet lose the very thing that God is passionate about. And and unfortunately, I speak from experience where I've seen God work in somebody else's heart and I'm going, God, why them? What about me? How come you did that for them? I know them. I know what they've done. I haven't done what they did. I was no angel, but I wasn't like them. And that's just flesh. That's just human nature. And the problem is, is that, and especially the longer that we are in the house, the more that we can lose our father's heart if we're not careful. Why? Because it becomes about us and it becomes about what we need and what we have. Well, the Bible's very clear that if we will make our heart the Father's heart, he's going to take care of everything that we have need of. The problem is, is that our heart detaches from his heart and we're going, God, why aren't you helping me? Remember that verse, seek first the kingdom of God. First, seek first the kingdom of God. And what? All the things you have need of, I'm going to take care of. Well, we hear that part and we love that part of it. God's going to take care of my needs. God, yeah. What's your priority though? And I know that it's easy to talk about from a platform, but it's different when it's the God works in somebody's life and you're thinking, well, man, it seems like God did more for them than he's done for me. It's because you've forgotten what God has done for you. And this is important. Why? Because the attitude and the approach matters. And we have to be willing to have a heart because we don't want to be, although we all were the younger son, but we don't want to be the elder brother either who has eyes of judgment, who, who wants to sling dirt, who wants to just call somebody out and do those things. Look, I believe in accountability. That is not what I'm saying at all. But the problem is, is that God has an identity problem and it's because of the church. He has been misrepresented many times. And so people know what the church is against, but they just don't know what we're actually for. And the truth is, is that Jesus came for people. And and so there will be times that we are going to do some unconventional things, which I am perfectly okay with. As a matter of fact, it kind of gets me a little excited. Why? Because I want to do things, anything. I'm willing to do anything short of sin to reach people. Why? Because that's the heart of God. This father did not spare any expense when his son came home. 
He said, go and get the royal robe. It was the most expensive fabric. Go and get him a ring. Well, it had very much significance. And he went to where his son was. He didn't wait, just sit on the front porch and be like, you know what? I'm going to let that joker see me. I'm gonna, we're going to lock eyes. He's going to see the disappointment in my eyes before he even gets here. He didn't wait for him to come fall on the front porch and be like, Dad, I'm sorry. It says that he girded up his, his clothes. He grabbed up his clothes and he ran to meet his son. And he grabbed him and he embraced him. This is who we're called to be as the church. This is not just some event. This is not just a moment. It's like, oh, well, that's cute. I'm not trying to be cute. I want people to know that God sees them, that God knows them, that he's paying attention to them, that they are not forgotten by God. Well, they're probably not going to know that if the church doesn't go do something about it. I mean, we can put God loves you on our walls. The problem is most of the people who need to know that aren't coming in those doors. I mean, it's going to be on our float. God loves you. We love you. We are for Southwest Louisiana. It's, I mean, it will be on the sides of it. It's the reason why we're doing it. Why? Because if we don't, we will become the older brother. Time has a way of doing that. Our heart becomes calloused. Look, I've served God for over 20 years. And unfortunately, I've been the older brother many times and the Lord has to do something to, 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 to shift my heart and to shake me a little bit because I don't want to lose sight of where I have come from because the truth is you find the worst sinner in Lake Charles, he is no worse than I was. He's no worse than you. But we have to be very aware of that fact. There's not levels with God. There's two classes. There are those who are sinful and those who are redeemed, and that's it. There aren't standards and levels. There aren't levels and classes of sinners, and there aren't levels and classes of redeemed people. There's sinners and there's saved people. That's it. Jesus is the great leveling field. There is no measuring up. No, he is the standard. Period. And we are called to live in a way and to be mindful. And so we don't want to just be those who are in the house. It's easy to do this. I want to have the Father's heart. I want God to stir in me. For years and years and years, it was a lyric from a song and I prayed it. Is God break my heart for what breaks yours. God break my heart. I want to be moved with compassion. I don't want to just drive by situations and circumstances and just drive by like they're no big deal when your heart is breaking and I'm unmoved by it. Like, I, I, God, I, I want to have your heart for people and I want to see you do great things in their life. So whatever I have to do, even if it makes me uncomfortable, I'm okay with that. But that is the heart of God. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about, he gives, the Apostle Paul gives this long laundry list of sinners. And at the end, he goes, hey, by the way, you were some of them. He's like, don't forget, hey, you were in that list. And he says, but he goes on, he says, but you were washed, you were cleansed, 
You were purified. You were justified. He uses these words like sanctification. He used justification. These are, you know, but really what it is, is saying that God cleaned the slate for me. And he brought me back into a relationship because the thing is, is that we actually aren't the younger brother or the older brother. Why? Because we were born sinners. The most accurate representation of who we are today is we are adopted into the family. We were not part of the family. And God said, I choose you to be a part of my family. And he called us into his family as adopted children. Now, here's an interesting thing about adoption. And this is, I don't know if it's true in all 50 states, but I know it's true in the majority of them. I don't know the exact number. But that an adopted child actually has more rights than a a birth child does. Give you an example. An adopted child cannot be written out of the will. So think about this. If God had a will, according to our laws, Jesus could be written out. But you can't. So, but but we are adopted and what can happen, and it's kind of, you know, like, I mean, obviously I have two young kids. You know, and you get one and they get all the attention, then you get two and it's like, hey, what about me? I'm over here, like, pay attention to me. Then you get three and four and, you know, you get more and then it's like kids start getting lost. It's like, you know, (laughs) one, two, three, four, five. Okay, everybody, let's go. But what happens is, is that we can become like that older son, like that older child who says, yeah, but what about me? We become very focused on us. And what happens is, is that we forget where God found us and where God has brought us from. Look, we are all works in progress and we may be a long ways from where we were, but it would do us well to remember where God found us. I mean, because none of us are immune from stupid. Every one of us have this unbelievable ability to go stupid in a moment. It's amazing. I remember uh, when I, before uh, me and Darren had moved to Arkansas, I was having lunch or something with Pastor Sam or a meeting, I don't remember, and I asked him, I said, Pastor, I said, you've been a pastor for almost 40 years. Does anything surprise you anymore? Without skipping a beat, he said, people. He said, because people have the capacity to just do some crazy stuff. And it's not that we should be afraid of that, but we ought to be aware of it. It ought to make sure that what? That we check our hearts and we make sure that we're not just drifting from God's heart. And the best way to stay with God's heart is to make what matters to him matter to you. I mean, I think it's the greatest expression of love is how do I show God that I love him as I love what he loves. I love who he loves. That's the greatest expression of love, I believe. Now, I have a bunch of other content that I'm skipping because I'm just hoping my voice will last to the end. But I will tell you these things real quick. Here's a couple of thoughts about adoption. I have tons of scripture, but I ain't got time. But I'm going to give you these real quick. Here's some truths about you because I believe that we as the church are, are preached to enough that we ought to know who we are. But just in case you don't, the Bible says that you are not an orphan. Why? Because you have a family. God placed you in a family. So you're not an orphan. An orphan is someone who is alone, who's hopeless, who's helpless. John 14, 18 says that he would not leave us like an orphan. Jesus talking to the disciples says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be your helper. You have someone 
beside you. Another thing about an orphan that an orphan needs to know is this, is that you are known. Like God is not casual about you. I made the joke earlier that he knows how many hairs went down the drain this morning when you took a shower. He does. He knows every intimate detail of your life. He knows the thoughts that you've never said. The Bible says he even knows words before we even speak them. And so it's important. You are known by a father and he doesn't have stepchildren. You know, one of my sisters adopted two boys. They did foster to adopt and they adopted two boys. And I was talking to my mom one time and she said, you know, I was really concerned. Like, could I love these foster boys like I do my my natural born kids? Very legitimate question. I was like, man, I've never thought about that. And she told me, she goes, I'm glad to tell you that it didn't matter. That I love those boys just like they were my own. See, and that is the heart of God is that what? There are no stepkids. There are no redheaded stepchild. There is no Cinderella. They get, I mean, like, no, you are valuable and precious. You are known by God. You are part of a family. That's part of what church is, is that this is a gathering, but it's a family. That we're committed one to another. We're there for one another. We talk about this through Discover, but as an adopted child, what? You have purpose. Like God made you for a reason, for a purpose. He gifted you. So much so that Christ laid down his life for you, for me. These are all truths and we can preach about them. Here's another one is that I am accepted, not for who I will be, but for who I am right now. Jesus didn't wait for us to get better to say, okay, yeah, you you got in under the curve. Yeah, come on. You get to pass. No, he accepted us right where we were. The curve is Jesus. And we hear these things and we hear talked about and preached about. As an orphan, you have to know that you are loved. See, it's easy for me to preach a message like this and then you leave and go, yeah, but what about me? We're doing this for for this purpose or that person. But look, I'm telling you, all these things are about you right now. You are loved. You are accepted. God has a purpose for you. But we aren't called to just be a church that comes inside of four walls and hangs out for a couple hours a week together or goes in a small group together. No, we are called to invade the hell that is part of Lake Charles. And we are to go and to take back ground that the devil has taken that belongs to Jesus. That is who we are called to be. We are not to play defense. We are to play offense and to go where others may not be willing to go and be unapologetic for it. I don't mean to be foolish, but what I do mean is that I am going to be passionate about that which God is passionate about. And there will be more people line the streets for a parade than will fit in this room all day long. And I'll say it again. If Jesus was in Lake Charles, he would be right in the middle of that. And I'm not there to, and that's my heart and my intention is not to just make a scene. But I do want to make some statements. Because some people need those statements made in their life. It's just the truth. 
And so how, how, can, I, how can I sit back and say, well, God, I tried to, to, to reach our city. Okay, well, what did you do? Well, we had church services, and there's a place for church service. I'm not anti-church. I kind of like what I do, but it's not the end-all, be-all either. My identity is not tied to this. But man, I, I believe that God wants to use us in this way. That it's just a tool. I believe that, that in every community that there's a way to engage the community on its terms, not my terms. I mean, if nothing else, people say, where do you go to church? You're wearing the shirt. And they're like, oh, wait, y'all were that church and put that flow in that parade, weren't you? That was us. Look, church people, religious people won't like it, I can tell you. We will get some pushback. I don't really care. Because sinners will think it's pretty cool. People that don't know Jesus are going to be like, man, that's pretty neat. And that's why I want to do it. And so we have, to, we have to be careful and we have to consistently fight against the mentality of just, well, we're here for, the, for Christians. We are, but that's not solely why we're here. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. That he would go, that he would reach, that he would do things. And so I believe that we have to do these things. And so I want to share with you some thoughts real quick. I mean, I've shared with you some of the heart, but specifically some of the verses and the reason why I believe that, that as a church that we are called to do something like this. And it comes out of uh, Luke chapter 15. It won't be on the screen because I added it this morning. But, you know. I could have had it, but I didn't ask for it. Luke chapter 15. We'll read out of the Passion Translation, verse 1 through 3. And it says that many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered to listen as Jesus taught the people. Isn't that interesting? Dishonest tax collectors. I mean, who likes the tax guy? You know, nobody likes writing that check. Well, back then, you had to go to a booth and pay a guy face-to-face. You didn't like that guy. I mean, I don't like the IRS, but I don't know who that is, you know. Just writing a check, and it goes, and they take my money, and I don't know who they are. But if there was a face attached, every time I saw that guy, I'd be like, get away from me. I ain't giving you no more money. But it says that these tax collectors and notorious sinners often gathered to listen to Jesus as he taught the people. That he listened as they taught, which meant that they were comfortable enough with Jesus that they would listen. He didn't just go above their head and beyond what they could understand. It says, this raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. The religious folks got a little uncomfortable. It says they were indignant and they grumbled and complained. Look at how, these, how this man associates with these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. It says, in response, Jesus gave an illustration, which is where he goes into the story of the, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. See, somehow I think that in the church that we have, and I, don't, I can't really tell you where I think it even comes from, but somehow I think that we have the belief that somehow the anointing of Christ is somehow fragile when it gets around sinners. Like that somehow it loses its power outside of the church. But yet Jesus spent a lot of time outside of the church and amazing, miraculous things happened. 
See, the anointing is not fragile. Sometimes we may be, but it is not. It is, I, I, I would actually almost argue, it might be more powerful outside of the four walls. Why? Because it's actually needed more there. You're like, well, how do we know people are ever going to come to our church? I don't care if they don't. I really don't. I mean, look, I want our church to grow. Who doesn't? But this is what I know is that the Bible says is that some water, some harvest, but what God will bring about the increase. God may not send anybody to our church for Mardi Gras, but he will send some people. Why? Because we've sown a seed. We sowed a seed into our city. And I believe in the principle of sowing and reaping. So we are going to make an investment. We're going to sow into our community and we're going to see God bring about a harvest. Because it's more than what I tell you at offering time. This is something that I believe with all of my heart. It's the life that I live. And so even as we look at these things, and so we're going to what? We're going to go shine the light of Christ where people don't expect it. In an unexpected way, in an unexpected place. Good. I believe that's what Jesus would do. Throughout scripture, you see, when, when any, whether it was a prophet in the Old Testament or an apostle in the New Testament, Jesus, they would always go to one of two places. They'd either go to the temple or to the gates of the city. Well, the temple's the church. We need church. The gates of the city were where commerce happened. It was where government happened. It was where influences gathered. Go read uh, Proverbs 31. Where does the, the, the woman go? That The Bible says that she's the most virtuous woman. She goes to the gates of the city. And yet Solomon says she's the most virtuous woman ever. Why? Because they're going where there's influence. They went to the church and they went to the gates. I don't know if there's anything that our city is more known for than for Mardi Gras. Maybe crawfish, but maybe. But it is a significant moment in our community. And I think we ought to be in the middle of it. I, I just believe that, is that we are to go and shine our lights. You know, we used to sing the little song in children's church, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel. No, Right? So we're going to let some light shine. I'm not there to be anybody other than who we are. I'm not trying to pretend to be somebody else. That's not my, my heart. Look, we have limited space on the float anyway, so it's not like everybody could get on it. Because some people are like, I don't want to get on the float. You don't have to be. I mean, there, there's only so much room. <laughs> If nothing else, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, you know, it's so simplistic, but I think, man, for somebody to see that, hey, the church is actually a fun place to be would be like just mind blowing for some people. It's like, wow, they actually were like a part of us. Yes. When we go to work with them, we live around people. We're not building some crazy subdivision out where all of us Christians are going to go live together. And if y'all do, I'm not coming. Like, I'll just tell you. Like, no. So let me read you one more passage of scripture. This comes out of Luke chapter 14. 
So a man is asking Jesus a question and he says, hey, you know, I, man, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I want to see, you know, th- this come to pass. And Jesus responds with a story. and He says that a man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. It says when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants out to the guests and he came or he, to tell the servants, come, the banquet is ready. But they began to make excuses. How many of you have invited somebody to church and they begin to make excuses? Well, you know, well, uh, I'm going to modernize what happens, but I'm going to paraphrase. Jesus says, well, I just bought a house. I need to go look at it to this guy. Well, I just bought a truck. I got to go see how much I can pull behind it. Another guy says, hey, I just got married. I I can't come. And the excuses roll on and they roll on and they roll on. We've all heard excuses. And yet in verse 21, it says that the servant returned and told his master, what they had said, he, and the master was, was furious. He was upset, and he said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go and find people. It says, after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. If there's an empty seat beside you, there is still room for more in this house. And if we fill up this one, guess what? We're just going to add another service. Because as long as there's people coming, we will create more room. That will not be the limiting factor. We will figure it out. But I see some empty seats. There's room. Yeah, but I don't want to be that close to people. You got three seats beside you. You can give up one. I mean... Like, yeah, but what if somebody comes and they take my seat? It ain't your seat. Just say, well, praise God. Somebody else in my seat. I'm going to go find a new seat. I'm going to go shake somebody else's hand today. Some new person's hand. Like, nice to see you. You might actually meet somebody new. So the servant said, hey, there's still room. And the master says, go out into the country. So he's already told him, go out into the city. Go out into the streets. He says, all right, everybody's there. All right, let's go even further out. Why? Because there's still room. So go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone that you find to come so that the house will be full. See, our goal is to what? Is to make sure that heaven is full. The Bible says that we would even have to go as far as to snatch some people from the flames of hell itself. I'm not saying that Mardi Gras is the flames of hell, but there might be some people fairly close. Again, I'm not saying there's lots of ways you could be involved with this. We have people that are designing the float. We have people who are building the float. We have people who will be on the float. We have all kinds of things. I was talking to Pastor John. Actually, Pastor John was up this week. And he happened to, he came up for a meeting. And so he stayed over for, for staff meeting. And we were talking about Mardi Gras and this and that. And he just said, man, he goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, you know, of course, I, I don't have the energy right now to be what, the way he was about it. But um, he just said, man, I think it's a great idea. He said, I'm just mad I didn't think of it. You know, and, and so it's just a way. It's, it's, it's a lane that we can move into our community. Like, are we going to do it again? I have no idea. It may be. We may do it again. It may be something we do every year. I don't know. All I know is that it's in my heart. 
And I believe that it's the heart of God. And that's what matters. And I can't let it go. I've spent nine months trying to let it go. Just saying, God, I think this is a crazy idea. And I think people may get mad. But I'm just convinced that it really is the heart of God. And if people get a cup or a wristband or something that said God loves them, and when they're in their darkest moment, they're going to look at that and they're going to remember. I can't go in their home, but I can send something into their home. And again, it's a seed that we're sowing into our community to let them know that we are for them. We're not against them. A lot of people feel like the church is against them. We're not against anybody. We're for everybody. We're for everybody to to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We are for God working and people finding freedom. We are for people finding their purpose. And we are for every person making a difference for the kingdom and the glory of God. That is who we are. That is what we do. Unapologetically. We want people, and we say it in our language, what, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. That's our vision. Yes, but it is what we are committed to. Not just to us, but those who aren't even here yet. Because it's not just about us. And sometimes we need a reset. We need a moment to kind of push us a little bit and challenge us a little bit. And this may be your moment. Great. If it, I, I, as your pastor, let me just say this to you. If this is something that really challenges you, this is all I'm asking. Go ask the Lord about it. Honestly pray and ask the Lord. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm not telling you this is what we're doing, dadgummit. This way it's going to be. If I'm on that float by myself, we're doing it. Like, I might would do it, but maybe not. I don't know. Me and my wife would be on there, but because I'd make her. I can't make you, but I can make her. <laughs> Come on, Max, y'all are coming. And, uh, you know, but, but hey, I do believe that this is going to be just an awesome opportunity for our church. I would even encourage you, take some invites and tell people. I'll, I'll tell you, we're going to be in the Merchants Parade on Friday night. We're going to be in the Children's Parade on Sunday. Take them an invite and say, hey, be looking for our church in the parade and just see the response. Especially some lost folks. They're going to be like, you said what? (laughs) Your church is going to be where? So simple, but it may be that moment for them where they're like, man, that's different. Yes, it is. But I believe God's going to work. I mean, we're going to pray over all the stuff that we're throwing out. I'm not just taking stuff to chunk it out. We're going to pray over it. I mean, I'd love to be able to pray over it the week before we go, like on Sunday morning. All of us pray over it. Why? Because we believe that it's powerful. It's not just trinkets. No, the Holy Spirit's going to be on them trinkets. And the Holy Spirit's going to begin to work. And he's going to begin to move in people's hearts and lives. And that's what it's all about.